Blog Talk Radio. He's a man who's going to tell you like it is. You can never be afraid of something that you don't know about. Now that's ignorance. And for us, ignorance is not bliss. He's a man who's not afraid to talk about the real issues and not skate around it. Don't you think it's about time that you got tired of where you are? I mean, you have got to be ready for God to do something for you and let him move. He's a man who loves his God, his country, and his people. I'm going to be honest with you. I'm not too fond of the political state of the world, and particularly the U.S. as it is right now. But if you want change, you have to make it happen. You can't keep settling for less than what you ought to have. He's a man who's sowing seeds of life, love, and liberation to anybody who's willing to hear. There comes a point in time where everybody just needs to shut their mouth up and listen to God. And God is the one who will lead us and God is in our truth. He'll tell us everything we need. That covers every area, every facet from politics to church to you name it. God's got it covered. He's a man that seeks the heart of God for the people of God. You're listening to Zero Today with Pastor Lorenzo Neal. Hello and welcome to Zero Today. I am your humble host, Dr. Lorenzo Neal, hailing from Cajun Land, USA, here to present you with seeds of wisdom, insight, empowerment, and liberation, promoting a knowledge that is engaging and transforming and helping you, my listeners, to knowing and impacting the world around you. And as always, you're welcome to join me on this illuminating journey. Follow me on all the social media. Show is on Facebook. Uh, follow us on Facebook, uh, Z-Rod Network on Facebook. On Twitter, show handle is at Z-Rod Radio. My handle is at Lorenzo T. Neal. Also on the gram, Dr. Lorenzo Neal. Facebook, Dr. Lorenzo Neal. Hey, we're there. We're all over there. And if you have not done so, if you've been listening to this show for a long time, for any amount of time, if you have not done so, please consider becoming a patron by going to patreon.com slash Lorenzo T. Neal. Sign up for one of the tiers. You can sign up for as little as a dollar a month to help this show keep going. This show is listener-supported, and I am so grateful for the last almost 12 years now we have been rocking. And all hundreds of thousands of you who listen to me around the world, thank you so much. Also, I want to take this time to put in the plug for my latest book of poetry, He Was Clean. It is now available on Amazon.com. Go get your copy as an e-book, Kindle book, or as paperback, in paperback. Yeah, I think that's, that is all that uh, all the plugging I'm going to do for today. And, uh, man, I'm, I'm excited. I We've been trying to get this. We've had so much technical difficulties. Internet wasn't working. Computer was freezing up. Then uh, mics was problem. Matter of fact, I'm not. I'm not even using microphone right now. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm speaking into my camera, and it's recording. I know. I know. It's hopefully it sounds okay. But you know, we're doing what we can do. To keep this going. I, I was, man, I was getting frustrated. I'm not going to lie to you. I was getting frustrated. I was like, man. But I remember when I first started, I was think I was using the telephone <laughs> and, and not the cell phone. I mean, uh, landline is when I actually started this show 12 years ago. That's what I was doing and upgraded to mic and Wi-Fi and all of that. But yeah, that's neither here nor there. Anyway, welcome to the program. If you've uh, you looked at, you clicked on this because you read that title, The New Revolution, Black Christian Dis- Deconstruction. And um, you, you probably hear, heard some of the headlines if you followed. If not, we're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about people leaving, and not just Christianity, but leaving the world, leaving relationships, and all of that. And so I, I'm going to start off. You know, sad news. We send condolences to the family of, of Regina King, actress Regina King, and the loss of her son, who uh, died by suicide uh, not long ago. And apparently, it came as a shock to everyone. Uh, every article that I've read, every video that I've seen, uh, in regarding her son, 
she she loved him and spoke highly of him. And at young age, 26 years old, it just makes you wonder what was tormenting him that led him to carry out that act. Um, it, it is a tragic thing, and I, I'm glad that not only the nation, but everyone is pouring out love towards her. Um, and, and as they should. But if you, if you are facing or you've had those thoughts, or if you know someone um, who has been having those thoughts, um, I want to invite you call the suicide hotline, the national suicide hotline. Uh, prevention lifeline, sorry, at 1-800-273-8255. If you or you know someone who has is wrestling with this, has attempted or has spoke of attempting, give them that number. Reach out to them, you know, to help us prevent this tragedy from happening in other other families. They certainly need to. No. Um, and again, our hearts go out to them. <sighs> and I'm also saddened at another loss. The other loss is that of Coach Sean Payton of the New Orleans Saints. It said he would not return for the 2022 season. And you know what? I'm completely heartbroken. I am heartbroken. Uh, Saints, Saints fans, we know this year was a struggle. They had like a nine and eight season, and um, it was tough. It was tough. They won that last game, and we were hoping that the Rams would win so we would get in the playoffs, and it did not happen. I mean, not the Rams. <laughs> the Rams did. No, the Rams lost. I'm, well, we needed. Yeah, we needed the Rams to win. The Rams lost to San Francisco in the story. That was the end of that season and playoff hopes. And um, he, you know, I think he kind of, I, I think he kind of alluded to it during the season. He wasn't as, you could tell that, his his coaching wasn't as good as it used and you know, used it was and wrestling with the the internal struggles with quarterbacks and other players key players on the team you could just tell he was like man Drew's gone I need to go to <laughs> but I think about what they did not just for the city of New Orleans but the state of Louisiana you know bringing back that sense of hope. And making us ain'ts saints, real contenders. And now we will be losing him. He said he doesn't know what he's going to do in the future. Now this ain't got nothing to do with church. This ain't got. This is just personal for me. <laughs> and and my brother is a uh, my brother is is uh, my oldest brother is a, a diehard Cowboys fan. And I knew and that we were joking about this on Thanksgiving. That when, uh, if they did make it to the playoffs, they would never go past the first round. And, well, y'all know what happened with that. Poor Cowboys. Anyway, that's another another loss that I just took personally. Yeah, I, I took that personally. But um, there's a lot of losses going on. You know, you know, if you've been following uh, politics, you know um, that Democrats, Democrats lost their push for uh, the Senate to um, even bring up their civil rights legislation uh, entitled the uh, John Lewis Voting Rights Act of 2021. And um, the media was pushing this narrative about, you know, filibuster and all of that. The reality was, and everybody really knew it, but didn't want to say it out loud, the bill was unnecessary. The bill, the, the, the House 
Democrats presented this bill somewhat in tribute to the late, great John Lewis, and you can understand that, how he fought for equity and all of that. And one of the last things he was really pushing was to ensure that the Voting Rights Act in all stayed intact. Um, and now the Voting Rights Act of 1965 is not going anywhere. But there were certain parts in 2013, the Supreme Court, and we talked. I think I talked about this last week, basically said, okay, the states that were under this particular obligation of the act have fulfilled that obligation. It's, you know, they're only supposed to do it for 25 years, and here it is, longer than 25 years, and they follow through. And, and, and yes, in some cases here in the South, some states here in the South, there's still an issue. We're still, I know in Louisiana, there's still some issue with desegregation, the contention there that's been going on since 1955. So, uh, but our voting rights are in place. You know, for minorities, they're not going away. Uh, Certain states have passed legislation that are a little more restrictive when it comes to voting rights, and I can understand why they're doing that. But again, it's, it's how it comes across. You know, and the average person is not going to read the, the bill presented in a state legislature, uh, in a state legislature, or in a in the House. Where they're not going to read it. They're going to get the um, what is it? They're going to get the toned down, watered down version of the bill that's easy to, to get across in the soundbite, right? And unfortunately, many times when that happens. It is wrong, or not wrong, but it's it's inaccurate. It's it doesn't tell all of it. And so, yes, both parties understood this was more uh, sentimental, and I think it should have been passed as a re- resolution more than an act that we resolve to maintain the integrity of the Voting Rights Act in the memory of John Lewis. I think everybody would have gotten on board with that instead of saying putting out the narrative. Well. The House passed it, straight partisan, uh, and uh, now the Senate won't pass it, straight partisan. And, you know, that kind of narrative just intensifies the sense of divisiveness in this country, which I think is there, but it's not as wide and all of that. But anyway, so they've lost that fight, and they've got to find another fight, and they will find another fight, put some other narrative before the American people. Uh, because it is midterm election. They got to find something to rile the people up to get them to vote for whoever they're going to vote for. You know, the Republicans are going to find something. And of course, they have Joe Biden and Kamala Harris to attack. You know, low poll ratings and the COVID disaster that they're saying is now under the hands of President Biden. All of this. So that's what Republicans may use. And of course, the economy is stupid. <laughs> If the trade inflation and all of this, you know, they're going to use that to attack President Biden, and then the Democrats will use, hey, voting rights. Look what the Republicans did. The Republicans, they stood against your voting rights. They want to strip you your wet rights away. Look, this is how much they think about you. And Mitch McConnell didn't help when he talks about. <laughs> Everybody knew what he was saying. This is an 80-year-old man. Everybody knew what he said. Well, African-Americans have just as much power, privilege to vote as other Americans. Everybody knew what he was saying. But the way it was, it was, it was funny. I was laughing. I was like, you, you man. Oh, boy. You, y'all, sometimes politicians just give people enough ammunition to just tear them apart. And so, yeah, they're going to say, see, see. It wasn't supposed to be. It was an open. It was a secret. But they said it openly. This is what they, you African Americans, you're not even fully American. They're gonna run with it. I know they are. I can't blame them. I probably would run with it too. <laughs> because hey, if it's gonna give me more votes, I will understand it. But anyway, so midterm election. Be informed. Don't just vote because you're affiliated with any particular party. You know, you can actually go look at those persons. If if that person is an incumbent going into the Congress as a whatever, they're incumbent, go look at their voting record. 
just go from there, and you'll 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 see, and you let that determine. But I always say, vote your principles and your values, not your party. And you know, I, I encourage people to do that, largely because at the national level, people are getting the national parties. Both parties are getting further and further away from the principles that established them. Okay, they're getting further away from that. And you, if you are a principled person, don't fall for a narrative that uh, rip at you emotionally. That's good, but it, it may be more of a uh, hurt than a help. So that's the other thing. Uh, but you know, I I hope that we do better. And people think better when it comes to this particular midterm election. But anyway, that is a another little <laughs> sidetrack ramp. I saw something on the Old Black Church blog site. Again, Old Black Church, Ms. Ann Brock. I want to get a shout out to her. A um, couple of stories that I <laughs> uh, I saw. And oh, yeah, let me talk about this before I, I get into this main. <laughs> The M&M candy cartoons have been uh, redesigned, and people were having an uproar about these characters. Um, the, di- the the change, and I think I think the biggest one was with the green M&M changing her shoes. She wore heels. I didn't even pay attention to the kind of shoes she had on. All I knew about the green M&M is they pushed the bar with her, you know, making her very sensual. Very sensual. And so men and women liked that she was sensual. (laughs) They liked that this character was very feminine. And oftentimes some people use other words to define her, describe her, and, you know, I only always saw the red and the blue character because those are the ones that were like in the Christmas. He does it this, you know. But anyway, <laughs> people were going in uproar because they changed. I think with the brown, they changed her shoes to black, low heels or something like that. And changed the the green from high heels to sneakers or something. And changed brown lips to something. It was stuff that we didn't really care about. And the the funny thing is, they had the vice president of the company make the announcement so proudly, said, we are trying to be more representational. And I'm like, the candies, the cartoons. Why would you make them? I mean, these are fictional. And I've never understood why, you know, we we protest changing of fictional characters. You know, they were doing it with Superman, Batman, James Bond, uh, all these fictional characters. That, that They're fiction. They can be changed, however, especially if they're in public domain. But anyway... So there was an uproar. Conservatives were were talking about uh, <laughs> that M and M's Mars is trying to be so inclusive. You know, there's this DIE diversity, inclusivity, and, and equity, or DEI diversity, equity, inclusivity. However you want to put it. Yeah, I, I've trained on that, and I you know facilitated facilitated trainings in it. And I'm gonna be honest with you. I understand, you know, everybody needs to, and we say this in our church. Everybody should feel welcome, loved, and accepted. That's that. Um, but to change some things that are irrelevant to the society altogether makes no sense. And for Republicans or conservatives to talk about this little change as something inherently evil. Socialists, communists, and all of that is crazy. I admire that passion. I do admire that passion, but it's crazy. And for progressives and liberals to celebrate it is also crazy, you know. <laughs> but that's the world that we live in right now. 
that that's the world we live in. It, it, it I I don't know what to put with it. But I'd love to hear your thoughts about it. So make sure that you uh, leave a comment. Let me know what you think. I really, really would love to hear. I'm going to take a quick break. One more thing. Pray for Cora. Well, I say pray. But uh, the announcement was that Cora Jakes, the daughter of Bishop T.D. Jakes, is divorcing from her husband. Um, what's the guy's name? Jakes Coleman. Cora Jakes Coleman is divorcing from her husband, who is... What is he? I can't remember what he does. But anyway, she's a successful entrepreneur, but she went on social media to let her know that she's divorcing her husband. And, you know, this is a celebrity divorce, much like the one with Megan Good and Devon Franklin. And I tell you, as a divorced person, it's never easy. That process, it starts long before the actual announcement is the papers are signed, you know. Sometimes it starts as early as the first <laughs> after the first year of marriage. You're ready to you're ready to quit. You know. But uh divorce is never easy. Certainly when it comes to some Christians understanding of divorce, uh it's sinful. And you know it, it is a long story. But anyway, I can only imagine how their family is reacting, especially when you're in the public eye like that. But it's neither here or there for me, but it's, it's news. And I like talking about the news on my show. But that's the way it is. There's a lot more going on. Anyway, I'm going to take this quick break. And when we come back, we're going to talk about this new revolution of black deconstruction and the uh, uh, fanatic and Lecrae. And why they're in the headlines because of it. So we'll be back right after this. You may find it hard to believe, but at one point in your life, you're going to need access to reliable legal services. Legal issues can be confusing, complicated, and even a bit embarrassing. That's why I joined the family at Legal Shield. Legal Shield offers the most affordable, comprehensive legal coverage available. And for a small monthly fee, I have access to Legal Shield's personal plan that includes attorneys who will represent me and provide me advice, even draft and review documents on my behalf. Not only do they provide excellent legal service, but with their ID shield, I'm also guaranteed protection from all fraud, including identity theft protection. Did I mention to you, I have so many perks and benefits that come with being a member of Legal Shield. Yeah, they pretty much cover the plan by itself. For the last 45 years, Americans have trusted Legal Shield for all their legal needs. And I'm glad that I've joined them. So give them a call. Visit their website, www.legalshield.com. I'm telling you, you will be glad that you did. You know... All of us have experienced anxiety over these last couple of years as we've wrestled with the grips of this virus and this pandemic. I found a way to deal with my anxiety through better help. Everyone deserves to be happy, and better help is one of the world's largest therapy service. Professional licensed and vetted therapists are there for you by way of video on your mobile device, laptop, or desktop. You can get matched to the best therapist in your area for your specific need. And I'm telling you, I've taken advantage of this, and I have grown tremendously, and I am seeing wonderful, wonderful uh, development since I've begun seeing my better help therapist. So I want you to join me and thousands of others who have placed their trust in BetterHelp simply by going to BetterHelp.com. Sign up and schedule for your reservation today.
Hello and welcome back to Zero Today. I am your humble host, Dr. Lorenzo Neal, and I'm glad you thought it not robbery to uh, listen to me today. Listen, make sure that you go and follow me on all of my social media. We are on Facebook at the Zero Network, Dr. Lorenzo Neal on Facebook, on Twitter, uh, Zero Network on Twitter, and Lorenzo T. Neal at Twitter. Go to my personal website, LorenzoTNeal.com. Get your copy of my books that are there. Listen to not only the archive shows of this broadcast, but uh, my other podcast, Be Your Differentiated Self. Read some articles from uh, whenever I wrote them. I don't know. <laughs> but anyway, you can do that. And support the show. Support me by going to Patreon.com slash Lorenzo T. Neal. Join for one of those tiers for as little as a dollar a month. You can support what I do and help make this show great, even greater than what it already is. Thank you so much. So let's get into this last little last little thing of the day. Um, last week, two prominent people came out with some interesting news. Um, Brady, Go- Brady Goodwin, who is a member of the Christian hip-hop group Cross Movement, and he goes by the name Fanatic. They are Grammy-nominated Christian hip-hop duo group, um, not duo, and um, he he's been he's been doing this thing for you know a number of years, at least thirty years, from what I have read. And he's not not only has he been a hip-hop artist, but he's also been a uh, he's been teaching apologetics. And on last Monday, he found a video where he's he has renounced his Christian faith. Um, you can find the story on the Christian Recorder. I mean, not the Christian Recorder. That's the AME. Now, if you're AME, you need to subscribe to the Christian Recorder. Yeah, all right? If you're not AME, you still should subscribe to the Christian Recorder. All right. Now, but this comes from ChristianPost.com. The Christian Post uh, put this there, and uh, Dr. Michael Brown wrote a wonderful op-ed in response to it, and he stated, uh, well, Fanatic stated that he had gotten to the point after much soul-searching and studying and reading of Scripture that, you know, he's like, I, I just can't ascribe to this particular religious uh, point of view anymore. He sent a letter to the church that he was a member of, withdrawing his membership and saying that he was not only withdrawing his membership, but he was denouncing the faith that he had believed, that he had professed, that he had proclaimed, and that he had defended 30 years of his life, quote, unquote. Okay? And um, you can see, I'm sure you can Google the video, uh, Google Fanatic, Google that, and you'll see the video. But I did watch the video, and, you know, I understand completely where the dude was coming from. I really did. Because I've been there. I've wrestled with some of the things that, um, though he didn't say explicitly, I I identify it. I've been in ministry 30 years. So let's put it this way. We've been, same thing. I've been preaching 30 years. And I, I tell you, the most challenging part of my life was when I attended seminary. And you know, you think, and people get this misconception that if you go to seminary, you know, you're going and you don't have real spiritual revelation. And that's why you don't go to seminary. You rely on the Holy Spirit. And then there are those who go to seminary just to learn. A lot of lay people go go to seminary to get their Master of Divinity just because they want a greater understanding of, you know, their faith and ministry and all of that. And there are a lot of non-practicing people, uh, Christian people, who go to seminary. And they're actually enlightened about the faith because, you know, some of them have never been Christian. And they go because they're always contentious with Christianity and they figure they understand it and, and have better arguments. But they go and they, you know, they come back with this, this like, wow. Okay, I better understand Christianity. They don't become Christians. And then there are those who go, don't go to school, but engage scriptures and 
they transformed from non-believers to believers. And that's the case of uh, probably the most well-respected Christian author, C.S. Lewis. He was an atheist who converted. And now he's, you know, a lot of his writings are used in, you know, evangelical Christian schools. But anyway, he he goes on and he talks about this and what led him to really wrestling with it. He said, you know, he, he didn't want to hurt the faith of others, but he was just letting him know, letting people know that this is what he no longer believes and his faith journey, this is the end of his faith journey, all that. And Dr. Uh, Dr. Brown, in his opinion, his Abed piece, said that he experienced the opposite, that being a Jew and converting from Judaism to Christianity, he was, you know, experienced the opposite. The fact that he was rejected from his by his family and taking on his new faith encouraged him to learn more Encourage him to go to seminary, encourage him to study ancient languages, which is why he's highly respected in many Christian communities because, you know, he's uh, charismatic leaning, but he's also an academic. And he said he wrestles with that, but his wrestling caused him to have a greater sense of faith. And I, I agree with Dr. Brown. My wrestling, my questioning, I even preached a sermon one time. Uh, the God I sometimes hate. And I still got the manuscript. I was reading over it uh, last week. You know, I, and I preached that, what, 99? Uh, yeah, 99 or 2000, somewhere in there. And I was wrestling, when I preached that sermon, I was wrestling, it was coming up on the 20th anniversary of my mother's death, and I was still wrestling with how she died, trying to ask, get God to give me the answer why. And I here it is now, 42 years later, and I still don't have the answer why. Why, God, did you take my mother from me? And I'm okay with that now. But there are a lot of people when, you know, tragic things happen, especially when it comes to things like church hurt, spiritual abuse, and stuff like that. They leave, and, you know, they use the fact of this trauma as a means to getting them to say, you know, justifying that they're leaving the faith. And as many of you know, if you've been following me for a long time, you know that I've had the privilege of speaking to a lot of non-believing uh, <laughs> entities. I've, I've spoken to Black Non-Believers Convention. I've spoken with Aaron Ra, who was, who was the former president of American Atheist or Atheist America, whatever it was. Uh, you know, I've been privileged to be in their space, and uh, we were filming a documentary uh, at the time called Exodus, uh, the Exodus from the Black Church, and you know, I was I was glad to be a part of all those projects and to give this voice as I was wrestling and processing through it. And like Dr. Brown, it just deepened my faith. The fact that I questioned gave me more trust, I guess you could say. And then, then a few days later. Uh, rap artist Lecrae, hip-hop artist, Grammy-winning artist Lecrae, very popular among uh, the contemporary Christian. You know, that's really who he identifies with. That's that's his biggest audience. You know, there's differentiation in the black church, which is uh, largely black gospel, you know, choirs and all of that, versus Christian, contemporary Christian, which is what, you know, the worship chorus is, and, uh, cross-moving and Lecrae. That, anyway, Lecrae came out and he tweeted that he is done with politicized Christianity or something to that nature. And when he tweeted that, of course, he got a lot of boom. People just hitting him left and right. How could you say that? You're not a true Christian, you know, blah, 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 yada, yada, yada. And then eventually some, you know, he was booking this, he had booked a tour and one of the um, tour dates got canceled largely in response to his tweet and he tweeted out you know the, the fact that he had lost the tour a tour date and he lost it simply because he said 
that he was done with politicized, organized Christianity under the church. And again, I don't see what the problem is. But and I'm saying this as a pastor who's been in ministry for 30 years, who's been pastoring for 25 plus of those years, and has run the gamut. And I, and I have pastored in two separate denominations. I've pastored in urban settings, and I've pastored in extreme rural, rural settings. And I do mean extreme. I, I pastored a church in the middle of a cotton field, literally. I'm not exaggerating. That'd be something like we'd be getting ready for church, and, you know, they're getting out there, and, they, and they're picking the cotton. <laughs> I'm not exaggerating. And and. That was one of my matter of fact, I am still in contact with uh members from that congregation all these years later. Um and it's been well over twenty years. But anyway, I've like I said, I've I've so I've 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 experienced as a pastor the ups and downs of ministries, low points where you're just wondering why in the world am I a part of this church in the organizer and being particularly that I'm AME and uh, now that I'm engaged with the political aspects of our faith community man I'm like why am I why why really really why why am I part of this <laughs> if we go you know we're going to meet just to be meeting and we're going to table legislation that's really important to not only our faith community, but the broader Christian faith community, and we're just going to not talk about it or not even discuss it, you know, or, you know, we get we get a, a pastor or a bishop who just don't like you. <laughs> and that's in every church, but I'm just speaking from my particular perspective, and when you're talking with dealing with a person like Lecrae, whose majority audience has been white Christian evangelicals who think, you know, because he was rapping to them, that he identifies with them. And then the more he begins to identify less in that particular component of their faith perspective, man, they, they just go off dope. <laughs> and it's sad that they did that. But, you know, white American Christianity right now is experiencing some major shifting. And uh, it's, it's crazy. But it, this is nothing new. Uh, you know, 20 plus years ago, we were seeing the same shift happening. And at that time, it was called the emergent church movement. And, you know, this is the late 90s early 2000s and uh, a lot of scholars we you know you had uh, the the Jesus movement and I'm not talking about the Jesus people movement of the 70s but the Jesus movement in academia and uh, uh, beginning in the 90s where they were revisiting scriptures and you know re really uh, reshaping how Jesus was presented <laughs> okay and questioning authenticity of the writings and you know this was doing people were writing books about the gospels can we trust the gospels you know um things of that nature questioning the authority of you know the writings of paul stuff like that you know and then those persons who were in in ministry especially younger uh clergy younger preachers were well, they were questioning as they were seeing broader practice available, opportunities, broader ways to practice Christianity than the orthodox way that has been presented to them, whatever their faith may have been. you know. And it was going across the board in Roman Catholicism and Methodism, particularly in American evangelicalism. It was really going fire, and um, you had... Uh, people like uh, Rob Love, I think that's his name. I can't remember. Jeez, uh, uh, a lot of people were. A lot of these guys were questioning, and when I say questioning, they weren't just um, they weren't just 
academically questioning. You know, this, the, they weren't just writing papers and publishing them in journals that nobody would read. They were writing books, and these books were getting to major Christian retailers. You know, they were speaking at conferences that were attracting thousands of people. And <laughs> they were really going against the grain of contemporary American Christianity. And people weren't having it. And now we're seeing now that happened. That's what's happening now in what we call the black church. It's been going on for a long time. I, it's been going on since, uh, really since the late 70s when you had people like the late Fred Price who began to introduce this new sense, uh, this new teaching word of faith, and he introduced it to the broader perspective. When you had people like Dr. Tony Evans come on the scene, independent church that aren't affiliated with denominations uh, and uh, doing tremendous work both in the community and in the theological field, and you, then you had the rise of Bishop Paul Board and the Full Gospel Baptist Church Fellowship, that that just threw it all out of order. When he, uh, in the early 90s, when he, his organization was officially, officially recognized as a fellowship, he had all these Baptist preachers joining him, and he was ordaining a lot of them and consecrating a lot of them as bishops. And one time, he had more bishops <laughs> than they had churches. I'm, I'm exaggerating, but I know a lot of, I still have a lot of my, my friends who uh, started serving in the Full Gospel Baptist Church as, you know, overseers and bishops, and now they are they are independent. But and when that movement hit, it hit. And I was a teenage preacher, and I, I had gone to Bishop Morton's church in, in New Orleans several times, and I was just, I mean, I was amazed at the service. The fact that he preached back in that day in the early 90s, he was preaching five services a Sunday. He preached every last one of them. And for the most part, he preached the same service, you know, same sermon. And I loved hearing him sing back in the day. Uh, I got a caller. Uh, let me... Take this caller real quick. Caller 708, you're on. Hello? Okay, guess they're just listening. Anyway, if you are wanting to say something, just let me know and we'll bring you back on. Anyway. I used to go to Bishop Moore's church, and I loved hearing him sing and all of that. And I think that's <laughs> the biggest attraction I had to him uh, as a as a kid preacher. And my job, you know, and I've known about his ministry as a kid. By the time I got to college and was going able to go to his church, I really loved it. But that's neither here nor there. So the black black church has been kind of deconstructing itself because. Over the last 30 years, we've seen more and more churches become unaffiliated with denominations. And more and more pastors who are planting churches and planting churches as independent churches, later affiliating with some loose association that they may start or somebody else may start and they become part of it. And, and so that's the first deconstruction that's been happening. There's been a deconstruction from denominational affiliation that's been happening over the last 30-plus years at the bare minimum. You know, we probably can go back further than that, but I'm just speaking more specifically time-wise. The other, the other deconstruction that has happened is not only has it been a denominational deconstruction, it has been a liturgical dis- deconstruction. Now, in a liturgical sense, for the most part, black churches followed the literature, the liturgical development of white uh, churches, white Christians, especially, you know, if you, for example, I'll use myself Methodist. We follow more of an Episcopal tradition with uh, very, very straight and sh- not strict, but uh, 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 not restrictive, but I, do, I would say strict, not a restrictive liturgy, 
but a, a, a straight, you know. We know particularly how every service is going to start and how every service is going to end, and most persons know just about what's going to happen in between. Uh, I was raised up in the Baptist church and pretty much was similar to uh, a, a similar liturgy, except you knew uh, when the deacons got sat down and they opened the church, you already know how it was going to be. It was going to be a Dr. Watts. I know the Lord will answer prayer. I... Yeah, I showed off there, didn't I? <laughs> no, you know, and then there was that call and response, uh, Dr. Watts, as we called them. And I, I remember going to a whole training on Dr. Watts as a kid. But anyway, so we went through that. But then we started seeing this shift in the late 90s to mid uh, 2000s where there was the introduction of worship choruses. And we can attribute it largely to Bishop uh, Blake and the West Angeles Church of God in Christ because they were the ones who introduced it. They took the worship choruses that, that were around from uh, Pastor Jack Hayford and churches like that who wrote a lot of worship choruses and, you know, a lot of the the uh, because they were in this place in this space, uh, Pentecostalism and the rise of what we now call the charismatic movement, and uh, they took these worship courses that were being sang in uh, those types of churches and brought them into the black church, and them being coaching, you know, coaching folks, their their way of praise and worship is ah, Jesus, bless the Lord. And something like that, you know, the foot stomping, hand clapping, uh, where you're going to shout for an hour and a half. <laughs> you're going to shout for an hour and a half before they even start service. <laughs> then you're going to shout for another hour after the preacher preach and lay hands and all But anyway, I digress. He took, he took that model and introduced it to the broader black church. And they had several records, I believe, and you know, they were very successful. And as it got introduced, we began to see that shift. So people weren't singing hymns anymore. And there's always been the choir, the gospel choir. And I, I never forget when I first started pastoring, uh, uh, there's a hole in the queue. Let me, let me try this again. Hello, caller 708. All right. Guess they're just listening. Anyway, so that shift started happening. And the more it started happening, the more people began to deconstruct worship. And what I'm saying, when I first, when I first entered pastoral ministry as a kid in the Baptist church I grew up in, uh, we had a gospel choir, and we had a sanctuary choir, you know, and the sanctuary choir was different from the gospel choir. The gospel choir sang contemporary gospel songs, and every now and then they would clap, and we loved it when we when they clapped. But the, the sanctuary choir basically was, they were going to sing the traditional hymns, and maybe gospelized, you know, where you can clap and it's stuff like that. You know, but that's basically what they they had. And, you know, more more churches began to offer the verse worship. And you saw this contemporary worship versus traditional worship, and not only in the black church, but also in the white church. But that was that deconstruction, right, to the point where everybody, including uh, faith communities like ours, were singing worship choruses instead of hymns. And people, I'll never forget, I was doing a revival, and I asked a musician to play a hymn, and he had no idea what the hymn was. And I was like, you don't know this? This is a standard hymn. And I had to, I went down, and I I taught him real quick. You know, I played it out real quick for him, and he still didn't get it. So I, I just played the hymn myself. 
And the older people loved it. They knew it. And then, you know, we sang it, and I just moved right from the, the keyboard back to the pulpit, and eventually I preached. But, uh, you know, so there are a lot, there's a whole generation that do not know hymns, you know, and the, the liturgy worship experience, the liturgical worship experience that they get is, is they go in, there's a praise and worship team and they're going to sing praise and worship melodies or choruses for about 15 to 20 minutes if that long if not that long you know sometimes it's just 10 minutes and then there's going to be an announcement and you know we're sophisticated now we're bougie so we got video announcements then after the video announcements there's the offering i always got to get the offering in and then after offering there may be a few selections from the choir if there is a choir a few selections, and then the preacher gets up to preach. Preacher preaches for however long they preach. You know, if they're doing a series, all that stuff is all fancy. And then, of course, afterwards, there's the, what we used to call the doors of the church is open. But the invitation to Christian discipleship or in, in these less liturgical churches that just, you know, they begin to, the altar call, you come up, you get prayed for, they lay hands, you fall out, blah, 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 you know, and then you go home. And so there's that deconstruction. And sometimes even more deconstructed than that, you know, the people come in as meditation and contemplation. And the music is reflective and introspective. And the message is is very little, you know, may not even use the Bible. And that's the, that's the other deconstruction when it comes to the uh, preached word. You know, we shifted from a strict use of Bible to the telling stories, uh, recounting events, uh, all of this stuff. And we saw a very, very poor example last, a few weeks ago of, you know, illustration, you know, storytelling, illustration that went bad with Pastor Mike Todd, and, you know, that's a whole different thing. So there's been a deconstruction that's been happening for decades now. And these two prominent persons, Fanatic and Lecrae, uh, because they're bigger audience, their larger audience with white Christian evangelicals are seeing how negative that has been for them. Now, fanatic is a whole different thing. You know, he has completely left faith, and he's done so after, again, according to his own statement, he's been an apologetics teacher. So he's understood how to, deep, you know, not only understand the faith, but how to properly present the faith in, in, a, in a critical way, uh, you know, to where people can um, reason it, reason it out, and either accept it or deny it. And he has come from his own experience to deny and renounce. But this is not going to stop. It's, it's not going to stop. It's going to happen more frequently. It's probably going to even be even more intent because um, there are some who, if you watch YouTube, you're going to see a number of black, black preachers, theologians on their <laughs> basically attacking each other, uh, others. You have people on the internet like Marcus Rogers, who's a very popular YouTuber and preacher, and I think now he has started his own church in the Chicago area, versus people like uh, Alan Parr, who is, uh, I don't believe he's pastoring, but he has pastored. He's well-trained. He studied under some of the most prominent uh, Bible teachers um, and then you have persons like Seiko Woods, uh, very astute, intelligent, wonderful man of God. And he's going, you know, he's going to hit you. And then there's another person I just came across, Corey uh, Woods. I, I can't think, of, but he goes by the smart, the moniker, the smart Christian. Uh, that's his YouTube channel. But anyway, I, I watch some of these guys and I see how they're, they are very intentional on their approach and, you know, as they see very different perspectives of Christianity uh, infringing on point, on what they believe be, you know, orthodox Christianity, they're addressing it and 
Sometimes they even cutting themselves. By cutting themselves, I mean, you know, going at each other. It's been that way since the inception of Christianity. That's nothing new. You know, so you can expect that to happen. But this is it's just going to be more interesting as we see more people of faith deconstruct themselves, and especially black Christians. They're not just, you know, not coming to church. They're not just not watching the virtual services. They're saying, I don't really need this. Uh, I don't really see any negative or positive impact. I, I'm, I ain't going to lie. When I was a kid, I thought if I missed one Sunday of church, I would backslide. <laughs> when I was a young adult and preaching, now mind you, I'm still preaching at this time. All this time, from 12 and on to now, I've been preaching. I've, I've had this, this sense that, man, if I miss church, something bad going to happen to me. I got to be there. Even when I was sick and unable to, <laughs> I was like, oh, my Lord, don't hold this against me, God. This my body, you know, my body is not allowing me to go to church, you know. And, of course, there's this thing, you know, when we talk about the scripture, and we have to be careful, and I'm I'm not going to make the uh, a scriptural argument. I'm just not going to do it. Um Uh, where we the, the word is is escaping me right now. Um, reprobate. Um, that those persons who deconstruct their faith in any capacity are likely to be reprobate or become reprobate. Um, or to backslide, all of that. And, you know, in, in Christian theology, it's just when a person rejects the gospel to a point uh, where God turns them away and rejects them, you know. And I don't see, I know there's a lot of scripture, both in Old Testament and New Testament, that people use to justify their, their particular perspective of uh, God rejecting people who supposedly denounced him. Uh, but, you know, we get it. I, I got a caller. Let me get this caller. Hello, caller 217. Yes, sir. How are you doing? Hi. I'm well. How are you? I'm pretty good. Hey, <laughs> This is a great show, actually. It's very well, rare you. to find uh, interesting content on this uh, platform. I appreciate you. Appreciate it. What, did you have any thoughts? I'm sorry, what was that? Did you have any other thoughts that you wanted to share and give any insight? I, I what do you what do you guys uh I, no, I just called in. I I don't know. <laughs> I have no idea well, what I you guys are talking about. I <laughs> Where are you calling from? Uh Central Illinois. Champagne. All right. Oh, Champagne. Been there plenty of times. Appreciate you calling, man. And uh, uh, thank you for the compliments. Appreciate it so much. No worries. All right. Man, that was great. I, I appreciate when people call in. Uh, makes my day. But anyway, I've come to the end of this this show. <laughs> Time has gone by fast. Oh, I just talk too much. I don't know. Either way, thank you guys so much for listening. Make sure that you go to Facebook, follow us on Facebook at Zero Network, and on Twitter at Zero Radio. You can find me, Dr. Lorenzo Neal, on Facebook, on Instagram, and on Twitter. We appreciate you so much. And um, get a copy of my book. Go to Amazon by. Amazon.com, you can get a copy of my books, Reflection from the Pastor Studies, uh, He Was Clean, Poems from Woodlawn, and A Breach in the Family. Those are the books that are available on, on my website and on Amazon.com. And support us. We are listening supported. We appreciate you so much. And I'm going to get out of here. Until next week, you guys, take care. God bless you. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a.